Psalm 122. Hear now the reading of God's holy and inspired word. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together, to which the tribes go up, even the tribes of the Lord. An ordinance for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For there were thrones set for judgment, thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek for your good. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Please be seated. When I was in uh, the Boy Scouts very many years ago, uh, I went to something called Camporee. And what that was was a bunch of different Boy Scout troops would get together and we would camp out in a field. <coughs> Excuse me. And we would have a competition there. It was a way for us to build up our skills, uh, to work on sort of merit badge things like first aid, emergency preparedness, uh, knot tying, and all sorts of things that these boys could tell you more about uh, because I have long since forgotten. But each troop was a team, and each troop was competing to finish these challenges, to go around to different stations, and to get points. And we were judged on how we completed the tasks, but also the manner in which we did it. If we were rude to each other, disrespectful, we lost points. If we were arguing and bickering, we lost points. But if we did it all together, come together and, and did everything well, we got more points. So to win, we had to have all the same goal. We had to listen to the leader's instructions, and we had to do whatever it was to the best of our, ability, our abilities. In other words, we had to be unified. Without being unified and doing whatever we wanted, trying to do our own thing, each wanting to be the star, we would have failed and we would have lost the competition. As Christians, we must be unified as well. In our passage this morning, we see a picture of the house of God united and an explanation of what unites them. <coughs> Excuse me. This morning, we will see what makes a united house of God is the joy of God's house, unity under one king, and the peace of God's house. First in this passage, we see the joy of God's house. Look at verses 1 and 2. So this psalm is in the middle of a section of the psalms called the, song of, the Songs of Ascents. These were psalms that the people of Israel would sing as they go up to Jerusalem for the feasts that they had to go to, to worship God. There were a lot of times that they went to Jerusalem, to the temple, but we're told in Exodus 23, verses 14 through 17, that there were three feasts that all males had to attend. And so these are the psalms that are written that they would sing as they traveled and as they went up to Jerusalem. We know that this psalm is written by King David by the title, and it's probably written after the ark is moved from the house of Obed-Edom to a tent to a tabernacle in Jerusalem. So they could go up and they could worship God there. David describes in verse 1 the joy that he had whenever it was said to him, let us go up to the house of the Lord. We know that from his life 
and from the Psalms that David wrote, that he was a far from perfect man. But he was a man that loved the Lord and that loved God's people and sought to worship him from the heart. See, David's joy is twofold here. David is excited about being able to go to the house of God and worship God, though he knows that he can go at any time. That he is able to pray and worship God in his own home. But David's delight here comes from being able to worship God with the people of God, specifically. There's something different. There's something stronger whenever we come together in God's house with God's people, all together, united to worship Him. That's the excitement that David has. And this excitement that they have for the worship of God, it overflows into the next verse. They're excited to be in the city of Jerusalem where God's word will be proclaimed and where they will be able to be near the Ark of the Covenant. Jerusalem was the place where the people of God could be with God. It is symbolic of the church. It points forward to the church. <coughs> Excuse me. You remember the Ark of the Covenant was God's throne on the earth. It was the place where the Lord chose to be with His people in a very real and a very special way. Uh, the object so reflected the glory of God that it could be lethal to handle if you handled it in the wrong way. But the people want to be near the ark because they want to be close to God. They recognize that this is the God who is their covenant God, who has bound Himself to them as a nation. Look at verse 1 again and notice the word Lord. You'll see that it's in all capital letters. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, that's God's covenant name. Oftentimes it's uh, translated or it's transliterated as Jehovah. Sometimes it's Yahweh. That's the closest approximation that we have. But the point isn't how to pronounce it. The point is what it means. It shows God's covenant, bond, and love with His people that cannot be broken. God's name is a pledge to His covenant people. It's the name that is for us today as well. So the people are delighted to be in the city of Jerusalem because they were safe to worship God. You see, in ancient times... Uh, walls were built around fortified cities to offer protection for the people. Attackers would have to break the walls in a siege if they wanted to get to the people inside. So being within the gates of Jerusalem offered the ability to safely worship God after traveling the long road to get to Jerusalem. David and the people of God are not just simply excited to be in the capital seeing the beauty of Jerusalem. They are overjoyed to be in the city where they are able to come together and worship God as His covenant people. We have the same privilege in Christ. While we do not have the temple and we do not have the ark, we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That as we gather together, we make up the dwelling place of God. We're told in Scripture to come together as God's people in Hebrews 10, 23-25 that we are specifically told not to neglect the meeting together as is the habit of some. We are to come to this place in joy and excitement and to gather together to worship our God, to sing His praises, to hear His Word taught. We are to be glad to hear the words, let us go up to the house of the Lord. You know how excited you get right before you go on a trip? Whether you're going to the beach, the mountains, wherever you might be headed, 
Uh, the night before is a time of excitement, and sometimes it's a time of not very much sleep. Now, that might be because you waited until the last minute to pack everything, and so you're staying up late to pack all of your clothes. But it also might be because you're excited to just get out and go wherever you're going. We ought to have this excitement about coming into the Lord's house and being with the Lord's people. This should be the place that we are excited to be in on this day with this group of people. So this morning is our delight in God's house, to be in God's house with His people, or is this just something that we're getting done, like going to school or getting our oil changed? As Christians, we are to be people that are excited and enthusiastic about coming to be with God in His house with His people on His day. Many times our church attendance is seen to us as something that we simply have to check off and we get it done and then we're done for the week. We, sim- we often forget that church, is the one, uh, that church is one of the main places that we are able to express our love and our adoration to God. That's the point of it. Surely we are to praise God every day in every way, in every way that we can on our own, in our own houses, 100%. We are to be reading His Word and delighting in His Word every day. But are we more delighted to be somewhere else than here? Beloved ones, this is practice for heaven. This is what it will be like. I'm sure the speaker will be better than me, but heaven is being together with God's people. If we are not delighted to be in God's house on earth, how will we ever be delighted to be in God's house forever on the new creation. May we be delighted to go to the house of our covenant God with His covenant people. So we see the joy of God's house, and secondly, we see unity under one king. Look with me at verse 3. David continues on, and he expresses his excitement about being in the house, or being in Jerusalem with God's people. He describes it as built as a city. The idea that he expresses in the Hebrew language is that Jerusalem is built up by someone else and it was bound closely together by someone else as well. The point is that the city is strong, it's fortified, it's ready for defense. This is not a group of wanderers out in the wilderness anymore with a tent and that's all they've got. They are in a city that, that God has built for them. It's a picture of the security and the prosperity that God has given them that is based on the firm foundation of God himself. And not only is this city built strong and fortified, but it is built together. Today, if we were to go to Charlotte or Columbia, we'd see these sprawling cities built out over a long distance. In the ancient world, that's not the way that it was. Houses and buildings and squares were built closer together. It brought in a sense of closeness, and that was the point so that in Jerusalem, you would have unity. You would be bound up together in these cities. And we should be a tight-knit body as this. This is a picture of what the church should be. We should be tightly knit in the body of Christ. We're not to be those that put up walls to divide the church, but work together for the unity of it. This is shown even more when David describes the tribes of Israel going up to Jerusalem, David is again describing one of those times that everybody goes up. And he's describing what unites Israel. 
is that they are the tribes of Israel and the tribes of the Lord, the covenant Lord. They're united as a nation by their faith. If you remember the 12 tribes of Israel, they did not get along a lot, and they fight a lot. All it takes is a good reading through the book of Judges to realize that these people don't get along. But the one thing that unites them is that they are all sons of Israel, or Jacob, and that they are all the people of the Lord. No matter what their cultural differences is, no matter what else it is, they are united in the fact that they are God's people. They come together for a singular purpose, to obey the word of God and to give thanks to him. And in verse 5, David says that the people are coming to Jerusalem as was decreed of Israel. So again, he's referring, as we've already mentioned, to all those feasts that God commanded for Israel, that all the men had to go to. And in obedience to God's command, they come up and they worship God together. And they realize that as the people of God, it is their duty to come and worship the Lord because He has commanded it. But they are also coming because it is their delight. They're coming to give thanks to the Lord for all that He has done for them. Again, this is a picture of the church. There's nothing like the church. We come from so many diverse backgrounds, places, statuses, but we all come together for one singular purpose, to worship and to obey our God. Then David mentions thrones were set up for judgment. He says that these thrones were the thrones of the house of David. David is telling us that Jerusalem is now the city of priests and it is the city of kings. It is the place where right judgment and justice is given out through God's representative king, It is through the line of David that God would rule over his people. And the house of David would unite the people under one king. That's the story of 1 and 2 Samuel. It's under this one banner that they all come together. Now that's something that's a bit foreign to us as Americans. We don't have a king. We don't necessarily want a king. But we do have a president. And sure, depending on our party, we might not like them. But we are not united under one king, and we don't have a king. But for the Israelites, the king was God's figurehead. He was the man who ruled kind of in the place of God, on God's behalf. The passage paints the picture of a people united under one God and under one king. And this all points down through history to Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ came out of the house and line of David He was the perfect priest to lead God's people. And he was also the perfect and is also the perfect king, living perfectly before God the Father, atoning for our sins in his death and being raised to life to reign forevermore at the the right hand of the Father. Beloved, it is under this banner, as a Christian, as a child of God, subject to the Lord Jesus, that we unite. And since we are united, since we unite to Christ and to one another, who we believe who will bring about, or we should be quick, sorry, to put away petty arguments and division and contention. Beloved, we are to strive for the unity of the church under one King, Jesus Christ. You know, there's nothing quite like going to a sporting event. Uh, it's been a couple years ago, but uh, Caroline and I went to a Braves game. And at one point, 
40,000 of us all stood up and yelled the same two words. He's safe. We all agreed that Austin Riley had made it and that the umps had gotten it wrong, as they often do. But, there, but there's nothing like going to a game where you're all completely unified. You're all yelling at the umpires and refs the same thing because you all want your team to win. In a similar but a much greater way, there is no unity like the unity of the church under the name of Jesus Christ. It's through our faith in Him that we are connected in a deeper way than we are connected to any of our relatives and we are connected to any of our spouses. We are spiritually brothers and sisters. So do we strive to preserve that unity? Are there things that we need to let go that we've been holding on to for years or days or weeks or months, whatever it is? There is no unity in the church if we are not out for the same mission and under the same banner to obey the Lord and give thanks to Him because of His work as our priest and king. If, we, if you have not placed your faith in Him, then you have and no higher loyalty. I'm sorry, if you have placed your faith in Him, then you have no higher loyalty than to God and to His people. Beloved, we are eternally bound together as God's people through the Holy Spirit in connection with Christ, and we are to strive to seek the unity of this house. We're not to cause fights. We're not to want to go our own way. And if things don't go our own way, we don't blow up and we don't take our ball and go home or find somewhere else to play. That's not how the church works. We are all different. And we all come from different backgrounds. And there is only one way that we can be unified. We look to King Jesus and Him alone. And we rest in Him. If you have not placed your faith in Christ then repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You shall be united under this banner with all of us who trust in Christ. But if you have, if you have trusted in Christ, then focus. Focus on what unites us and not what divides us. Strive for unity and focus on the singular mission to obey the word of God and to give him thanks together. So we see the unity or the joy of God's house, the unity under one king, And finally, in this passage, we see the peace of God's house. We see our final point in verses 6 through 9. David goes on and he tells us the final aspect of a unified house of God. He says that we're to seek the peace of God's house. He prays for the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's very name means peace. The Hebrew word for peace is in it, and the ancient name of it was Salem, which simply means peace. It was supposed to be the place of peace, the peace of God's people, where they could come together securely and worship Him. If the city of Jerusalem was at peace, that meant that the people were free to be there, and they were free to worship God. When When they were at war, things changed. It was harder to get to Jerusalem, and it was harder to worship God together. In the church, just as in Jerusalem, peace is necessary to worship God. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, In a church, one of the main ingredients of success is internal peace. Strife, suspicion, party spirit or cliques, uh, division, these are deadly things. In other words, nothing closes the doors of a church quite like gossip, cliques, backbiting, and not letting things go when we know good and well we should have been over it by now. 
There is nothing that will do it quite like that. David knew this, and, he, and we ought to know it now, that peace is essential for the church to thrive. John Calvin said it this way, self-centered prayers profit us nothing. So we should pray for the peace of each other. We will not prosper by only thinking of ourselves, but by doing what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, which is at the top of your bulletin, in humility, counting others more significant than ourselves. You see, that's how we have to have peace within the walls of the church. That's how uh, those who love the Lord are secure. In fact, a better translation would be, may, uh, may those who are loving you be at ease. It's peace in the church, people united in loving God, that causes us to be at ease. In verse 7, the idea of peace within the walls and towers is shown. But there's no mention of peace outside the walls, only inside them. Walls are meant to keep out foes, the foes of Israel, to protect the people who are inside the city. If the people in the city could not be at peace with one another, then it didn't matter who was outside of the city. They were going to kill each other inside of it. You can't band together and withstand an attack if you hate the person standing next to you. In the same way, we cannot fight off the attacks of Satan as a church if we cannot stand or forgive the people next to us. If we're not willing to be peacemakers in the church, then who will believe us when we tell them you can have peace with God? We have to work for peace in God's house. And David shows this in verses 8 and 9. He says that it's for the sake of his brothers and his friends that he prays for the peace of Jerusalem. It's to the benefit of the entire nation that Jerusalem is at peace. They would be ruled justly and they would be able to worship God if Jerusalem was at peace. It is to the benefit of our children, our families, our neighbors, our town, our workplace, and everywhere around us if the church is at peace. Now, that does not mean that the church solves all the world's problems. We don't, and we can't. But it is true that, if, that without the church at peace, societies crumble and fall apart into dust, and families are ripped apart. The only thing that solves all the world's problems is the second coming of Christ, and that will come one day. But it does mean that we are to be the salt of the earth, that we are to be the ones doing the work of the church, advancing the gospel. And that's why David prays for the peace of the house of the Lord in verse 9. The house, when the house of the Lord is at peace and not fighting each other, not walking, not walking in <clears throat> bitterness and unforgiveness, we're able to actually do the mission that God has called us to do. We're able to follow after Him and to do His work. Since we have a covenant relationship with God, with, the, <clears throat> with one another through Christ, we are to work for peace between us, and we are to work together to bring the gospel to everyone that we are able to. Have you ever met two people that could not get along, that everything they did was a fight? Maybe it was siblings, maybe it was two so-called friends, or maybe it was a parent or a child, or maybe it was a married couple, but they fuss and they fight and they constantly seem to be fighting about something. In fact, it seems like they might not be happy unless they're fighting about something. I knew a couple of brothers like that when I was in school. <clears throat> and we constantly had to tell them, could you do me a favor and not act like your brothers 
for like five minutes so that we can get something done. But even if, but they can't help it and they, and they wouldn't be able to get along. And can they be any help to us? Can people constantly fighting be any help to anyone? Likewise, if we are the church and we cannot be at peace with each other, what good are we to the world? The world is watching, beloved, and they see us every single day. They see the way we act. They see when we don't forgive each other, when we backbite, gossip, we exclude those that we don't want to be around. What will the reaction of the world be when they look at us? So we should work for peace of the church. You need to pray for it. It's not an easy thing to achieve. We need help from the Holy Spirit to be able to forgive each other and to live in peace. This morning, there are those of us that need to extend forgiveness. There are those of us who need to let some things go and others of us that need to go and apologize for our actions. We all, in our own ways, have not sought out the peace of the church, but rather have sought our own comfort, entertainment, or exclusive club. And that's not how we're supposed to live. Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Christ came to take our punishment and our sins so that he might make peace with God on our behalf. That the wrath of the Father, that the wrath of God might be dealt out on him so that we would never have to endure it. So that we could be with him in his house for all time. If we have trusted in Christ, then every sin, every time we have insulted or fought against or ran away from God has been forgiven. How can we not extend forgiveness and peace when we have been so richly forgiven? Beloved, enjoy, seek, and pray for the peace of God's house. This morning, is your heart glad to hear, let us, let us go to the house of the Lord? Is there some place else you would rather be? Somewhere that is tearing your attention away from the Lord. This is the house of God, and these are His people. If we're to be united as a house of God, we must with joy come together with his people under the lordship of King Jesus to worship and give thanks to God through the power of the Holy Spirit and to seek the peace of the church. May it be true of us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Our Father, Lord, we have heard a message of being unified. We have heard, Lord, that we need to strive for unity. Lord, your word is clear that we are to unite under one banner, the banner of you, King Jesus. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins, forgive us when we have failed to seek after the unity of your house. Father, we ask that you would help us to forgive one another, that you would help us to love each other and to be examples to this world of your love and your grace that you have so richly given us. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.